0: Our sermon text then for today is one verse from Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your kindness and goodness toward us in revealing your will unto us making Yourself known to us, making Your grace known to us, that we might eagerly embrace it and live in it and by it. We pray that You would bless Your Word for our uh, good, that we might be convicted, convinced, and comforted, and edified. We ask that You would give us understanding of Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to the Sixth Commandment. Uh, The Sixth Commandment, uh, as I read it in the English Standard Version, you shall not murder. On the one hand, the word murder is a little too narrow, um, especially if we think of it in a modern legal context. Um, The ESV footnote adds, the Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. Um, And so that's helpful to understand the word. It's not simply the premeditated, intentional murder uh, that that word usually refers to, but also things like manslaughter and and accidental taking of of life. Uh, The King James Version is a bit more literal. Thou shalt not kill. Uh, On the other hand, the word kill could be misunderstood as a little too broad. Uh, First of all, of course, it's humans that are in, In view here. We might discuss that later. You have to understand the context of Exodus and the books of Moses and the Bible. Um, And even the Hebrew word itself is not used for God putting someone to death or killing enemies in war or execution by order of a court. Um, But it's it's a good translation, thou shalt not kill. Uh, We'll expand on it as indeed scripture does to help us understand what God is is commanding us here when he says, thou shalt not kill. Our shorter catechism explains it in this way, the sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. So you shall not murder or kill, but shall preserve. In fact, the positive meaning is that you shall preserve the life of yourself and others. First, let's look at why you should keep this commandment, and then we'll look at how you should keep this commandment. First, why should you keep this commandment? Why you shall not kill? First of all, uh, God made man in his own image, therefore you must respect and not murder your fellow man. The primary reason undergirding the sixth commandment like so many other things can be found in the book of Genesis Uh, can be found where we find in in Genesis 9 6 for example uh, which is also on the back of your bulletin inserts but it's uh, right after the flood and God is speaking to Noah and his sons and he says whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image the the death penalty for murder is imposed here because life is valuable, because man is made in the image of God. That is why it's such a uh, horrible, sinful thing uh, to, to shed that blood, uh, to take man's life. Um, first a chapter of Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, recounted how God made man in his own image, after his likeness. Uh, This means that God made man to resemble him and to represent him. What does it mean that God made man in his own image? It means that man uh, is made to resemble God and represents God. Two words to start with R. It's helpful to understand the meaning of that concept. Consider the analogy of father and son. In Genesis 5, it uses the language of the son being made in the image of his father when Adam has a son. A son represents his father and resembles his father. Especially in the ancient household, a son would represent his father and bear authority under him as he came of age. Likewise, Adam was created as a son of God, as Luke puts it, to resemble God and to rule God's earthly household on his behalf. Besides sonship, another analogy that would probably have come to mind to the first readers of Genesis is how kings made images of themselves to symbolize their authority throughout their kingdom. As one commentator put it, just as powerful earthly kings to indicate their claim to dominion erect an image of themselves in the provinces of their empire where they do not personally appear, so man is placed upon earth in God's image as God's sovereign emblem. Just as a king might set up statues and flags and images on coins to assert his reign, so God has set up man as a symbol of his royal authority on earth. And not only as a symbol, but as a vice-regent, an agent of God's dominion. Now, because of sin, fallen man, uh, man in fallen state, no longer resembles God in his knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and dominion. Man was made to resemble God in that way, not physically, but the whole man was made to resemble God in knowledge and righteousness and holiness and dominion. He remains a rational, moral, religious, and productive being, but his thinking is blind to God and futile. His righteousness, is filthy rags, his religion, is idolatrous, and his dominion is often, uh, is vain and ultimately, sorry, ultimately vain and often cruel. Fallen man is a defaced image. Someone took a chisel and started to mess it up. looks a little bit more like the devil. Nevertheless, as defaced as the image is, man is still God's image. If you learn that a rock is a statue, you know what it is and what it's supposed to do. If it gets defaced, it's still a statue, but it does not fulfill its purpose well. It's in need of restoration. Um, the defacing of it is bad because it's a statue. As Schaeffer said, man is a glorious ruin. He is God's image, uh, but in his fallen state, uh, he has lost that resemblance. The principle of Genesis 9-6 therefore applies to all humans, whether believers or unbelievers. Uh, To be human is to be made in God's image, To kill a human is to offer violence to God because it desecrates his image. Instead, humans are owed a basic respect due to be made in the image of God, a respect that would involve all lawful endeavors to preserve human life. Now, James in the New Testament appeals to the same reason, same principle when he rebuked the violent use of the tongue. Uh, the language, the words. He says, With it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. See the hypocrisy of praising God with our words, but then reviling and cursing those made in God's likeness? Now this principle is great relevance to many contemporary issues, For example, abortion is forbidden by God's word because a person's right to life depends not on his independence or his mental capacity, but on his or her identity as a human made in the image of God. And a baby is a human beginning at conception, thus ought to be protected and cared for. The doctrine also would forbid racism, that is, animosity and contempt or injustice on the basis of race, for all people groups are descended from Adam made in the image of God. So first reason, foundation for the sixth commandment is that God made man in his image. Therefore, uh, ought to be given that respect and not killed. God, secondly, God is the life giver. God is sovereign over it, and therefore man must not usurp his sovereignty. Genesis describes also where human life came from. God made man and gave him life. God is the creator of all and therefore the sovereign of all. He gave life. He can also take it away for just cause. He promised eternal life to man on the condition of perfect obedience, but he threatened death for sin. He gives life to mankind today, but he also sends man back to the dust from which he was made. He makes alive and he kills. He is the creator and the judge. It is his prerogative and he does so justly. All creation is under him. Even plant and animal life is under his sovereignty. What gives you a good conscience as you kill animals or even as you cut down the plants and use them for food? Well, it's because God gave man permission to eat plant foods initially, and then after the flood to eat the animals as well. It is under his authorization and is made holy by the word of God and prayer unto our use. You use his creation and take the life of creatures under his authorization. Um, And you ought to do so with gratitude and care. You ought to show mercy, in fact, and care even for animals, in giving man animals as food, God also prohibited him from eating the blood to show man, to teach man to show respect for life. Uh, even animal life regarding, uh, requires some degree of, of care and concern. Uh, that should be reflected in how you treat animals throughout their lives, although they're not the same value as a man. Proverbs 12.10 says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. But human life, like I said, is far more precious than animal life because God made man in God's image. As Jesus said in Matthew twelve twelve of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Human life is given by God and he is sovereign over it. It may only be taken by him or by his authorization. Man must not usurp God's authority. That is what Esau and Lamech did in Genesis 4. Uh, First, Esau taking life into his own hands, killing his brother Abel, even though he was warned, and Lamech saying, I can outdo God in the vengeance that I show. This young man just struck me and I killed him. That is the violence that would fill the world before the flood. Now, this principle of God being the sovereign over life explains why God can kill and not be guilty of sin. And why there are exceptions to thou shalt not kill. God can authorize exceptions by his law for just cause, as he even does in protection of life in Genesis 9, 6, where he prescribed a capital punishment for murder. But man must not take this into his own hands and deal out death uh, as if he were God. And that temptation is quite strong for man, for man to play as God. Thirdly, not only is God the life giver and sovereign over it, but God has been generous toward all mankind. Therefore, treasure his gifts and be generous in return. <clears throat> Look at this gift of life from another perspective. God has given you life. He has been generous toward you and all mankind. As Paul said in Athens, God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God lavished his kindness Upon man at his creation, not only giving him life, but making the world useful and delightful to him. And even after mankind forfeited all of God's gifts by right, by rebelling against his Maker, God remained patient and kind, slow to judge, not killing man immediately, preserving many of his good gifts toward man while this life lasts. So life is a gift from God to be used and treasured well with gratitude and stewardship. To neglect it, to waste it, to cast it away, to take it away from another, is to despise God's gift and his kindness. It will not last forever, and this present age is one of great potential usefulness. God has given it to you as stewardship, as a gift. And as God has been kind toward man, so man ought to imitate in kindness toward one another. As Jesus said from this uh, reflection on God's kindness in creation to apply to your relation to your enemies even, he said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Fourth reason, though, is that God has shown his love in Christ. Therefore, you shall love your neighbor. Remember that the Ten Commandments began with the affirmation, a reminder of God's redemptive grace. If he has saved you, then you have all the more reason to keep his commandments. Unbelievers should keep his commandments, but how much more should we? If you have received his mercy and been given eternal life, How much more should you show mercy to others and seek to preserve their lives? Being ready to be patient and forbearing, to cast aside bitterness, to forgive your brother, to love your brother, to love even your enemy. Should you live like murderous Pharaoh whom they had escaped from, who had oppressed Israel under the lash, who had slaughtered its babies, Should you live like the evil one who was a murderer from the beginning when he drew mankind into death? Or should you live like your Savior who has demonstrated his love by dying on the cross for sinners, who has given you eternal life by his grace, and who will raise your bodies to incorruptible glory on the last day? You should not hate your brother like Cain, who was of the evil one, but rather, love your brother as children of God. As the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. Having received this love of God, this salvation of your very life, how much more should we keep this commandment to preserve and to protect the life of ourselves and our neighbors? So so we should keep this commandment. These are four good reasons to keep this commandment. Let's turn secondly then to how. How should we keep this commandment? More precisely, does it require of you and me? As I've already mentioned, law against killing is not without exception. The duty to preserve and vindicate human life sometimes requires the taking of human life under God's authority. In a few limited circumstances, it is just to take human life in cases of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. Although even in these cases, the Bible gives directions and qualifications and limits, like lawful and necessary and just. On the other hand, the law does more than simply prohibit murder. It prohibits causing death by carelessness. It prohibits the attitudes and words and practices that dishonor the image of God and show violence to humans. As our shorter catechism says, positively, the Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. So, in general, we can summarize it in a couple, under a couple of different headings. First of all, consider your thoughts, your thoughts and desires. What goes on in your head and your heart before you even start speaking and acting? Where does murder begin? It begins, where does Jesus say it comes from? It comes from the heart. Out of the heart proceeds murder. Avoid murderous thoughts and attitudes. John says in 1 John 3, the one who hates is a murderer. The one who hates his brother is a murderer. Hatred and malice. This is murder in the seed form. Uh, It is uh, against the sixth commandment. That we even saw in... Esau, before he struck down his brother, sin was already at work in his envy towards his brother, his hatred towards his brothers, because his brother's deeds were good while his deeds were evil. And so he began to be envious and jealous, and that rose up and, and then expressed itself in the deeds of murder. So nip it in the bud. Pay attention to your thoughts, let them not grow but uproot them. Instead, replace them with godly desires and thoughts. Cultivate love towards others. Uh, Cultivate love towards your brothers, especially all the more. Brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters. But cultivate love even towards enemies, as our Lord Jesus has expounded the sixth commandment. Uh, Not only love those who are good to you, but to love even your enemies, imitating your heavenly Father. To have a, a kind and charitable frame of mind towards others, one's patient with the wrongs others might do. So consider your thoughts and exercise self-control. Secondly, in the second heading, we might consider words avoid cruel and harsh and reviling words. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount in the passage that we read uh, earlier. You heard already you shall not murder. But then he goes on to explain also not being angry with your brother and, and uh, abusing him in, in terms of of insults, of raka, you know, of, of you fool. That these also are violations of the sixth commandment. You can strike out at your brother, maybe not physically with your hand yet, but with your words. Proverbs tells us in chapter 12, uh, 12, verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You may have heard the ditty of Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It might be good if you can overlook an offense. That's to your honor and credit. But as far as the one speaking, uh, words can be like the thrust of a sword. They can crush the soul. Uh, and so you might not be striking out with your hands like you did when you were a kid, uh, but you still have to watch your words uh, and and control them as well, that they not be harsh and and reviling. There's a word that means That's translated reviling when it's referring to people, and it's translated blasphemy when it's regarding God. Uh, But don't do that. Scripture condemns that sort of speaking towards other people. Instead, again, think positively of the words you should be saying. Of course, being slow to speak, but also then using good words. Words have great potential for, like the proverb said, for healing, for building up, for edification, for growth use speech that is good for building up as fits the occasion, as Paul says. You know, as he said in Titus 3, rather than reviling others and being quarrelsome, be gentle and show perfect courtesy towards all people. Use words that are appropriate for the occasion, that build up, that benefit, that don't simply tear down and destroy. There might be times where Words need to correct, but those should be done with wisdom, like that of a doctor who's seeking to help the person as he cuts and not simply to, uh, to abuse and revile. So be careful with your words. James 3 would also add that the tongue is like a fire and it has great potential uh, to cause destruction. The third heading would be that of Acts. Avoid murderous acts, actions, of course, like unjustly taking human life, except for those you know, exceptions where, in, you, know, where you might be serving in civil government and, uh, and, and the sort, don't take human life. Man is made in the image of God, but also things that approach it, things like injuring others, striking, wounding, uh, that sort of thing. Exodus 21 not only describes uh, murder, but uh, gives various rules about striking and wounding and restitution for such sins and crimes, to not uh, abuse others by striking them and wounding them and injuring them. These also violate the principle of the sixth commandment. Instead, have actions that, do actions that defend and support human life uh, by responsible and charitable provision of care and provide for yourself, for your household, for your relatives even as needed. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 would tell us these necessary supports for life, for food and clothing and shelter, James 2 would even extend that to to the stranger, the person in need, uh, to don't simply say, be warm, be filled, uh, but to seek to help them. Support life by taking care for your health, uh, by an appropriate, by a uh, moderate use, an appropriate use of food and drink and medicine and exercise and sleep. Uh, these are all things intended for your good, not to be abused or neglected. Even Paul took aside a verse in First Timothy devoted to Timothy's health. For the sake of your health, uh, add a little wine with your water. For the sake of your frequent stomach ailments. You might think that's not a very spiritual thing to include in an apostolic letter, but it's a very it's a spiritual thing to obey God and to care for your health for um, his own health yeah. uh, proverbs and Ecclesiastes would talk about not uh, abusing uh, food and drink but uh, using it for strength and not for drunkenness. Um, we can find an example second kings twenty seven where the prophet even uh, accompanies uh, god 's healing work with a medical uh, work of of applying a a certain uh, solution to uh, the disease and so that an appropriate and responsible care for one's life uh, for one's health also defend and support human life by necessary defense Uh, in exodus 22 2 it mentions if someone's a robber breaking in at night and he's killed, uh, that there would not be blood guilt for him, that there's an appropriate place for necessary defense, even to the point of uh, using lethal force um, when when life is endangered. Also, you can defend and support life by escaping from someone trying to take your life uh, when Jezebel was seeking to kill the prophets of the Lord. Faithful Obadiah hid the prophets of the Lord. He looked out for others and he hid them in caves to hide them from the queen. Defend and support human life by supporting the civil magistrate's role in public justice and in war, uh, which we find instructions for in God's word, uh, that it might be an ordinance of God's good, uh, God's, ordinance of God for your good and the good of society. The civil government has a duty to maintain justice in accord with God's law. It includes a role of protecting the innocent and punishing those who take life unlawfully. He ought to do this because God requires a reckoning from man, as Genesis 9 says. The execution is not only done as a deterrent, but an act of justice to carry out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God holds a people accountable for the innocent blood that is shed in its midst. Midst. From his fellow man, he will require a reckoning. So the civil government ought to administer the death penalty for murder, and I do mean that in the more narrow sense of murder, various penalties as appropriate for negligence and manslaughter and physical abuse and injury, as many of the case laws of the Old Testament exemplify, It should support the right of justified self-defense and wage just war upon aggressors with just cause and just ends and uh, declaring war by proper authority and then executing that war in a just way. This duty to defend innocent life extends to the unborn. Again, Exodus 22 would point out so that abortion rather than being a right protected by the government should be prohibited by it as a defense and vindication of human life. So we should look at our actions and the actions uh, to defend and preserve human life and not to take it. Fourth heading we can think of is that of situations. Uh, First of all, avoid occasions, temptations, and practices that would tend to the unjust taking away the life of any uh proverbs 1 says when violent men tell you to come and join them you know get rich quick come with us we're going to rob some people well that could involve taking life uh, but you'll you'll get rich quick don't join them don't just go along with them and then stop at the last minute just turn just turn aside your feet from joining with them and from their ways also Uh, another way to apply this with situations is to prevent situations that needlessly endanger yourself or others. The Old Testament describes in the day where people would live um, on their rooftops or use their rooftops as a living space that they were required to have uh, a fence around their roof so that people would not fall off. Before someone fall off, you were supposed to think about it and to take precautions so, so no one accidentally fell off. It's not enough to simply not try to murder someone, but you must try to ensure that they don't get killed, to take precautions, to be, um, to think ahead. Exodus 21 would also talk about the ox that was prone to gore. Uh, one ox might, might kill a person. It'd be a total accident out of the blue. person wouldn't be responsible for it. But if he was known to be prone to gore people and he wasn't restrained, then the owner would be held responsible. He was supposed to uh, think ahead and to take precautions we can think of many examples today to not be negligent or carelessness uh, careless but rather to take steps to preserve life to be safe as an application of the sixth commandment uh, follow safety codes uh, the rules of the road to wear a seat belt, to don't drive drunk many practical things that you do every day which are not just because the government tells you to and because the policeman's behind you, but as an application of the sixth commandment, that you should seek to be safe and to take precautions to preserve your life and the life of others. Last application here is to that by extension of the concern for eternal life. If it's so important to preserve the lives of yourself and others, How much more should you care for yourself and others' eternal life? You should be ready, in fact, to lay down your life for its sake, to take up your cross and follow Christ. What profit would it be to gain the whole world and to lose your soul? There is life and salvation in Christ. And you might do a great job of preserving your life for a few more years in accordance with God's law, but if you do not care for eternal life, then it is... In vain, and should care for the well being of others, both that they uh, have their present life preserved, but also that they get their bodies back in glory, and that they receive salvation in Jesus Christ. And yet, dying, yet will live and will live again in eternal glory with Christ. This is offered by God's grace to those who have sinned against this commandment and all the commandments, uh, that though we deserve death, though you and I deserve death, eternal death, physical death, all the above death, uh, that he has given uh, an offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ to be received and rejoiced in, that the life we now live, we live in Christ. We see great usefulness in this age for doing good to others, um, that uh, we have the hope of everlasting glory and life to come. So in conclusion, just to make sure that we're comprehensive, I know it can be a little tedious, but there's a lot of thought that went into the Westminster Larger Catechism. I don't know if you've read it, But especially on the Ten Commandments, it gives a lot of thought in trying to summarize everything the Bible says. And so, in conclusion, I want to read two questions from the Westminster Larger Catechism. First, what are the duties required in the Sixth Commandment? The duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions and avoiding all occasions, temptations and practices, which tend to the unjust taking away the life of any by just defense thereof against violence, patience, patient bearing of the hand of God, quietness of mind, cheerfulness of spirit, A sober use of meat, drink, physic, sleep, labor, and recreations. By charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness. Peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior. Forbearance, readiness to be reconciled, patient bearing and forgiving of injuries, and requiting good for evil. Comforting and succoring the distressed, and protecting and defending the innocent. What are the sins forbidden in the sixth commandment? The sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are all taking away the life of ourselves or of others except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. The neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life. Sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire of revenge, all excessive passions, distracting cares, immoderate use of meat, drink, labor, and recreations, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. Why should we do these things or not do these things as the case may be? God has made man in his own image. God is the life giver, the sovereign judge, and you are not. God has been generous toward you and toward all mankind, and God has shown his love towards us in Jesus Christ. So embrace Christ, and as his disciple, forsake bitterness and malice, and endeavor to preserve your life and the lives of others in love. To our gracious God be glory and honor and thanks, in this age and the next. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we give thanks to you for the life that we live, the life that now we live in Jesus Christ, that we might now redeem the time to serve you with our heart and soul. We pray that you would make us useful for the good of others, to support them in body and soul and their whole well-being. We pray that you would bless our work and our callings Often to these ends, we pray that you would indeed bless our labors that we might be provided for, that you would grant us our daily bread and all that that means to support our life and strength. We pray that you would care and protect us, protect us against those who would seek to violate this commandment, and that in trials that you might make us strong and patient and to look to you with resilience before man. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.